Good morning. I'd like to welcome all of you here this day. We are the Marine Corps today, the few, the proud, the mighty, right? We're glad that you're here worshiping with us. We hope that you will grab the pew pad at the end of the aisle, complete the information there, and then pass that to the neighbors who are seated with you. I have a few announcements to share with you. This month we are raising uh, funds for our partners in ministry at Community Bridge. Uh, they give an excessive amount of clothing out to the poor, and one of the challenges that they always find is that they have difficult uh, times finding undergarments, and so they're calling it Unday Sundays, and we're trying to sponsor that. So if you, the next time you're at Walmart or doing a Walmart order or Target or any place like that, if you don't mind to grab uh, just a set of uh, undies, bring them here to the church, there's a bucket out in uh, Fellowship Hall, and we're collecting those to the rest of this month. Next Sunday after worship, we're having a fifth Sunday brunch, and so we hope that you'll make plans to stay with us after worship next week uh, for that brunch. Um, they, they are asking that you bring a side dish if you can for that. Um, also, next Sunday after worship, we're going to have a brief vacation Bible school meeting. VBS is essentially one month away, and so we're going to try to get that uh, process started. So if you're interested in helping out, which we hope that you are, it's the greatest outreach we do in the summertime for the children, so we hope that you'll make plans to help uh, Holly with that meeting next Sunday. Again, we're thrilled that you're here worshiping with us. Let's now prepare our hearts to worship the living God. Our call to worship this morning comes to us from the book of Psalms, Psalm 116. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. 
because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, save my life. Come, let us worship the risen Lord. Our opening hymn this morning is hymn number 263. All hail the power of Jesus' name. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
Our call to confession this morning comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 through 3. Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord who created you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Let us pray. O God, whose blessed Son made Himself known to His disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may behold Him in all His redeeming work, who lives and reigns with You in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I have set your sins as far as the east is from the west, though your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming is that He has separated us from our sin, that our old life is gone, and a new life remain. So know that you have been forgiven, and be at peace. And pray also for me, a sinner. Amen. Did. I invite you to turn with me to the book of First Kings, chapter first sixteen verses. Hear God's holy word. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishb and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go from here and turn eastward and hide yourself in the Wadi Sharith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the Wadi, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and lived by the Wadi Sharith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the Wadi. But after a while the wadi dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there, for I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel, so that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Elijah said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as I have said. 
First make me a little cake of it and bring it to me, and afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of our Lord. seated, and this time I invite the children forward for a children's sermon. The child forward. Okay. We're going to have a quiz. Ready for a quiz? Who is that? You know, Clue, this is James Harrison. It's the best football player to ever play. Played for the Steelers. He intercepted the ball, and this is in a Super Bowl. He returned it 99 yards for a touchdown. It's really cool, right? They ended up winning the game. It was the greatest uh, game I've ever seen played. And that's, uh, that's my friend James Harrison. We're, he and I are really good friends. Did you know that? It's not true. But I like him, and I've met, I've not, I've not met him, actually. But I know that that's what he looks like, right? That's what, I, that's what he looks like. Okay. Now I've got another quiz. Um, I, I, you may know who this is. I don't know. Who's this? Taylor Swift. Now, have you met her? No. Did you know that this was Taylor Swift? No. Okay. We're, this is Taylor Swift. I don't know if you've heard of her. She sings. Um, now, this is a picture of her, but do you think this is what she looks like in real life as well? You don't know? You've not met her yet, right? But you believe she exists. Yeah, do you believe she exists? Do you believe she exists even though you're just now learning of this person's existence? Okay. If you know she exists, you just didn't know what she looked like. I got you. Okay, all right. So this is Taylor Swift. Now, why am I bringing a picture of James Harrison and Taylor Swift to church today? You may be asking yourself that question, right? Well, it's because I think in our world today, we get to see a lot of things uh, on TV and on the internet and stuff like that, right? And so we may never meet these people, but we know that they exist, right? Well, back in Jesus' time, how do you think people heard about other people? Letters or something, okay? Maybe you talked to your neighbors, right? So you said, hey, did you hear that dude just did this? Or, hey, they just caught a big fish down the Sea of Galilee, something like that, right? Well, so we're in this season called Easter, and Easter is a celebration of Jesus raising from the dead, right? The story that I'm getting ready to read is a story where these two people who lived and followed Jesus throughout his entire ministry are walking away from the city of Jerusalem. 
and they're walking with some fellow, and they don't recognize who it is, but he teaches them a whole lot about the Old Testament, about the Hebrew Scriptures, right? Does that sound like anybody you might know that would teach really, really well about the Old Scripture, right? Who would that sound like? Jesus, okay. So they get back to their house, and Jesus breaks a piece of bread, and then when he breaks a piece of bread, guess what? They suddenly recognized who it was. And then guess what? Jesus leaves. He just, poof, he's gone. Okay? That's what the Bible says. Poof, he's gone. He disappears. And then they run all the way back to Jerusalem and they tell their friends, they say, hey, we just saw Jesus. Now the question that I have is this. I only get to watch the Steelers on TV. And I don't ever listen to Taylor Swift, but I know that this is her picture, right? And I believe she exists. If I lived every day of my life with Taylor Swift and James Harrison, do you think that I would recognize them when I'm walking with them on the street, right? So don't you think it's a little funny that this guy named Cleopas and his friend are walking with Jesus and they don't recognize him until he breaks bread? Does that sound like a weird story to you? Sounds like a weird story to me. If it doesn't sound like a weird story to you, that's okay too. No, you don't think it sounds weird? You think it's okay, right? So you have better faith than I do. That's okay, right? But I think it's odd that in today's world where we're so visual, how would we recognize Jesus? Have we ever seen a picture of Jesus? We've seen a picture of what people say he looks like. But I'm pretty sure that somebody that grew up in... The Middle East doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes. That's not the Jesus that I think it would be, right? But it could be anybody, right? It can, anybody could be Jesus, right? You could be, are you Jesus? No. no. All right. Okay. We've established that. He is not Jesus. Okay. Am I Jesus? No. That's two out of four people that are talking right now. We know that two of us are not Jesus. Pretty much guessing because you two are female, you're not Jesus either. Is that a good... Good guess? Yes. Okay. All right. So the four, we now know the four of us aren't Jesus. That's all we know, right? But we could be walking next to Jesus any day. What do you think Jesus would want us to do if we were walking with him? Do you think he wants us to just be a fan like I am of James Harrison or you all are, not you, but other people are Taylor Swift? Do you think we should just be a fan and scream when we see him and then that's it? What do you think we should do? Okay, talk with him, be a good friend. What else? What else did Jesus ask us to do in life? Help other people. Help other people. Be nice. Okay. Okay. Listen to our parents. Things like that, right? Those are responsible things for us to do. So let's pray and let's thank God for this story about people not recognizing Jesus. But let's ask him to open our eyes so that we can see the world the way he does and we can help make it better. Does that sound like a good deal? Okay, let's pray. Dear God, you rock, and we love you. And we're so glad that some people who lived with you didn't recognize you. We sometimes have a difficult time recognizing you as well. Open our eyes that we may see the world the way you see it. We love you. Amen. Okay, go sit down. I invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. 
And we're going to read verses 13 through 35. Hear God's holy word. Now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you were walking along? And they stood still and they looked sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him and said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? And Jesus asked them, What things? And so they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. But he had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and they did not find his body there. They came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things about himself in all of the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road? While he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, The Lord has risen indeed as he appeared to Simon. And then they told the other disciples on the road about what had happened on the road, and now that he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. May the Lord add blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of His holy word. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank You for this, Your story. We thank You, Lord, for the way that Your Spirit interacts with us in the form of story. And we ask this day that You would be with us as we discern this story's meaning. I say all this in the name of Your Son. Amen. About this time last year, I preached a sermon on this text with the exact same title. Why do you keep me waiting? But this time last year, I asked a different question than I'm going to ask at the end of today's sermon. I've, I am very frustrated that I have to preach this text every year because I think it's a very frustrating story. 
It frustrates me that, that, like I said to the kids, these two people that lived and walked and helped Jesus for three years of His public ministry, who saw Him be crucified on a cross, who then heard a rumor that His body was not in the tomb that morning, that very morning that they were walking back to Emmaus, I get frustrated that they don't recognize Jesus. It frustrates me. Don't you think if the people that are in your life every day of your life, that you spend time with, that you eat with, that you, you travel places with these people, don't you think that even if you saw them dead, you saw them be tortured, don't you think if you'd heard a rumor that the tomb was empty, that angels, angels told some people he's alive. Don't you think you might recognize the dude that you've just given three years of your life to? These disciples frustrate me. Cleopas and this other person. We don't know if it's his wife or just a disciple that, that wasn't named. We're not sure. But they're followers of Jesus. They're disappointed that he's not as great as they thought he was going to be. And so they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're leaving. We don't know if they're going home. We don't know if they're just traveling. We don't know if they're scared. Maybe they're scared. Maybe that's part of my frustration is that I just don't know. But how strongly convinced were they that none of this story could be true, that they have to leave because they don't believe. They're blinded by ignorance. How disappointed must they be when they realize that everything that they've done for the last three years ends with an empty tomb and a dead person that they don't recognize. They're journeying, and in Luke's Gospel, pretty much everybody is on a journey. Luke takes seriously the great spiritual truth that we are all on a pilgrimage through life. The Emmaus story in chapter 24 is a journey story, and it has certain connections and almost like a resonance to what happens in Luke 2. Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem. Shepherds go to Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph go to Simeon and Anna and the temple. Mary and Joseph journey back home to Galilee and Nazareth, and then they come back. And Mary and Joseph, when Jesus is about 12, they forget Jesus in the temple. <laughs> they leave a major city in the ancient world. They leave their son behind because they just assume that he's with the rest of the group. And then what do they have to do as they're walking away and they get to the place where they're staying at night? They realize he ain't here. And they got to run back to Jerusalem, right? So in many ways, Jesus walking on a road with what could possibly be a husband and wife kind of sounds like we've heard this story once or twice before, that the people that are always hoping Jesus is one place, they're wrong, and Jesus is actually in another place doing what Jesus is supposed to be doing, which is the work of whom? Father in heaven. At Emmaus, this journey 
for this couple is again away from Jerusalem. It's the afternoon after an empty tomb has been discovered. We think they may be walking home. We just don't know. But, but right now, we hear this word that, that they have in their, in their hearts. It's almost a shock. Jesus, they call him in Greek, parokase, which is one who dwells in an area as a sojourner. Somebody that doesn't have a home. This is the first identification of Jesus in the story. It means he's a stranger. Maybe he's even in exile. And Cleopas also identifies Jesus as being from Nazareth and a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people. Now, in all four Gospels, but especially in Luke, Jesus is firmly in the prophetic tradition. In fact, in Luke's Gospel, if you go back to chapter 4, the very first words of Jesus' true public ministry, he speaks a little bit to his mom and his dad, but in public ministry, his first words are from the prophet Isaiah, and he talks about how truly the word of God has come true for you this day because a prophet stands among you who is great. And remember what they tried to do to Jesus when he read those words? They tried to throw him off of a cliff, right? Luke uses a really neat word, Lytroamai, which means redeem. He only uses it three times in his gospel. One is in the song of Zechariah, which is chapter 1. Another is when the prophet Anna in the temple in chapter 2 says that word about Jesus. And the third time is in chapter 24, verse 21. We had hoped he would be the one to redeem Israel. Now, at the beginning of the story, in the song of Zechariah, when they say Jesus is going to redeem Israel, and then Anna the prophetess at the temple says he will redeem Israel, Cleopas lets us know what's happening right now. Guess what? We were wrong. He didn't redeem Israel, and we're upset. And we're walking home. The past hope has been disappointed. They had not reckoned with suffering and death being part of what the Messiah had to experience. And it appears once more that Israel and all of the diaspora for the Jewish people would have to wait for the true Messiah. Now Jesus, being Jesus, says, you guys are a bunch of idiots. I mean, that's, that's not a direct translation from the Greek, but it's really close. And then he says, haven't I taught you this? He didn't say it that way exactly. He was like, let me teach you one more time. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things about himself and the scriptures. That's a long walk. Seven miles probably between Jerusalem and Emmaus. We're not really sure exactly in modern day where Emmaus is. But we have some old maps, and we think it's about a, a seven-mile journey. So in that seven miles, let's say he's, he's teaching them. He teaches them everything in the Hebrew, tri Hebrew Scriptures about himself. They still think this man is just brilliant. They don't believe it's Jesus. They end their journey. They get to where they're going. Jesus pretends to walk further away. And they said, wait a minute, 
stay with us. Now, we may think that sounds odd, that we're traveling with somebody, and we just suddenly invite them to stay at our house. We just met them on the road. But in first century Israel, in fact, in great portions of the history of Israel, it would have been expected that person should have already been invited to stay at their home. So it's a little shocking that Jesus had to walk a few steps beyond whatever building they were going into to have this invitation take place. But they see Jesus, and they say, stay with us. And so they go inside and they have dinner. And he breaks bread. And suddenly, they're like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And almost as suddenly as they see it, I can't, I can't put words to it how quickly Luke changes the tone of the sentence. Immediately, he disappears. They see him, they recognize him, and then he's gone. Now, I don't know why they waited in Jerusalem as long as they did, but I've got a few ideas. Okay, it was Passover. Jesus died the day before the Sabbath. You don't walk home on the Sabbath. And so they choose to walk home this third day, and they're walking home. Passover likely still likely still being celebrated some places in Jerusalem, but they they go away. They're walking away. And and then they see Jesus. And what does the Bible say that they do? They immediately run back to Jerusalem. Now, they dilly-dallied all day to get out of town. It says in the afternoon they left. It wasn't first thing in the morning. So they've spent the majority of their day in Jerusalem. They walk, they meagerly walk home, and then suddenly they see Jesus and they sprint back. Why do they sprint back? We have to tell other people that we've seen Jesus. Now, here's what drives me nuts about this part of the story. The women went there early in the morning. They saw an angel. The angel says, Jesus is risen. Eh, I'll just walk on. That doesn't matter. But when they see Jesus, suddenly everybody else has got to know about it now. We got to tell everybody. We got to run back. They're tired of waiting. They don't want to wait any longer. They've got news that they have to share. Now, last year, I posed the notion that God is waiting on us to recognize who God is and what God is calling us to do. My frustration with this text has me posing a different question this year. Lord, why are you making me wait? Don't you see what's going on down here? Don't you see these wars that are fighting? Don't you see the greed of some people that keeps other people in poverty? Don't you see the selfishness of humanity? Why aren't you returning? Don't you see how some people are still enslaved in the 21st century? Don't you see how people are suffering with disease? Don't you know how children are treated in some countries of this world? Lord, Come home now. Return home. Why do you keep me waiting? And as I suffer with all of my questions, it dawns on me what Jesus says in Luke's Gospel. 
The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. Nor will anyone say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is among you. In other words, don't I see what's going on down here? Don't I see the suffering of fellow members of humanity? Don't I see how children are treated in my own country? Don't I see that I should be doing something about the fact that the kingdom of God is all around me? My struggling with this story in blaming Cleopas and the other person for not recognizing Jesus or my frustration that they didn't believe the women pales in comparison to the blinders that are on my own eyes when I try to give the problems of this world to somebody else and don't do a daggone thing about it myself. Jesus doesn't need to return in order for the hungry to be fed, the naked to be clothed, or the thirsty to be given something to drink. What is keeping me waiting? Why do you keep waiting? Let this third Sunday of Easter lead us to focus and meditate and contemplate on the essence of this question. Why do we wait? May we only answer this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen and Amen. Now let us stand and declare that which we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. This time we continue our worship by the giving of our tithes and offerings.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for this bountiful gift that you have given to us that we have now returned a portion of to you. We thank you, Lord, for these gifts and blessings. We ask that you would impart your wisdom to us so that we may discern the proper way to use these gifts and blessings in this world that you have created. We say all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Let us lift all of our petitions together to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we thank you for everything in life that we experience. We thank you for the joy of seeing beloved friends and family. We thank you for the gift of recognizing each other in grocery stores, waving to each other across the street. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of relationship. We thank you, Lord, that your story is one of a relationship with humanity, one that is filled with grace and mercy and caution and acceptance and love. We ask, God, that all of our relationships would be filled with these same things. And we know, Lord, that it is our responsibility to be the gracious, to be the merciful. We ask that you would forgive us where we fall short of your glory. And we pray, Lord, for those in our lives who need for you to be a Savior. We pray, God, this morning for those who have lost a loved one mourning and grieving that loss. We pray for those, Lord, who are stricken by drugs and their overwhelming grasp on society. We pray for mothers who lose children. We pray, God, for people in ICUs who are suffering, who just want to come home. We pray for friends and family who mourn and grieve from a distance. We pray for those of us who have lost loved ones who are mindful every day, Lord, of how much we miss those people in our lives. We pray, God, for marriages and for broken marriages. We pray for grace. We pray for our children, Lord, that they may continue to learn of your love, your undying love. We pray, Lord, for their innocence, that they can be children as long as possible and grow to, to know and recognize you. We pray, Lord, for the children that you would bring to this church through the Littles program, through our upcoming Vacation Bible School. Lord, let us be people who teach them that Jesus does, in fact, love them. We pray for the countries at war. We pray for the citizens of the countries who are at war. Not just the wars we read about and see on television, Lord, but the wars that are being fought all over the world. We pray for those who are enslaved in places like Congo. We pray, Lord, for those who are forced to work in the, the mines and unsafe conditions in Congo. We pray, God, for a day for respite for those who are enforced into slavery. We don't know who these people are, Lord. We don't know them by name. We don't recognize them, but we do pray for them. We pray for 
mercy to be in their life. Pray for our president. We pray for our armed forces. We pray for the leaders of our nation, those who serve to protect us, Lord. We, we pray, God, that you would be patient with them as they listen to your still small voice calling for peace. Because we are a family of faith, we pray for those who are seated to our right and to our left, in front of us and behind us. In the stillness of this moment, Lord, we pray for ourselves. Holy God, we are amazed by your grace and the glory of your ways. We thank you that you did send your Son to earth, that he showed us how to live and taught us also to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please stand as you are able for our closing hymn, hymn number 236, The Strife is Over.
I work on my sermon. I like to go over it one last time before I preach it, right? And I type into the toolbar, why do you keep me waiting? And I open up a sermon and I start reading it and I thought, this is not what I wrote on Thursday. This is not where I thought I was going. So I searched again. I had the exact same title for this text last year that I had for this year (laughs) with a different question that I ask each time. It's a frustrating text. And you know what? Next year, I'm probably going to be telling you I'm going to frustrate with this text again because this is just a frustrating story. But part of my frustration is that I'm frustrated with myself. I can't tell you how much money I've spent on Steelers tickets or Yankees tickets or going to watch things that I enjoy doing. I don't go to a whole lot of concerts, but I spend a lot of money on things that are for me, right? Things that I recognize in this life that are important to me. What I don't keep track of, because I do it so infrequently, I guess, is how much I spend on others. I don't want to give you that same grief. But I think the Lord is calling us to recognize with our eyes that Christ is saying, you can do the thing that you want done. That's hard for us, right? It's frustrating. And I think that's why I want to project so much of my own frustration onto poor Cleopas. Poor Cleopas. He just wanted to be right. Maybe what the right thing to do is to open our eyes that we may see. Amen? And then do something. Not just have open eyes, but then do something. Now receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May it be with us all until we meet again, either here or His glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.